hello and welcome to episode number 441 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. In this week's show, Ryanair are hiring and not firing. A member of BA crew gets all inflated and we look at the all-important unreliable airlines of the world. In the military news this week, the US Air Force's nearest rescue helicopter has its first operational rescue and we take a look at the restoration of the first Air Force One by a company in Virginia. Joining me this week across the village over in the PTUK Master Suite Studios and as I say these words, he's bringing down the fader so we can't hear the backing music. It's Matt Smith. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Hello. You like that? Yes, okay, yes. Uh, your, your, wish, like, your, wish, like, your wish is my commando, Master. <laughs> my word, that was loud. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Well, it's nice yes. that you can hear it for a change, you know. Well, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Oh dear! So, um, how, how are things, Matt? You are currently watching the pound signs go out the window with the heating the home at the moment. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. I have to say, we're done slightly better this month than expected. So, I'm taking that as a bit of a win. Frankly, uh, we're we're on budget, which, uh, it, given the how cold it's been, is uh, is quite the uh, quite the achievement. Yeah, didn't we, didn't we yeah. hit minus ten in Scotland this week? Yes, I think so. Although, thank goodness, we're nowhere near that. No, I think I think we I think minus four was our lowest. Yeah, I think minus four was our lowest. Yeah, yeah, but it, hopefully it's getting a bit warmer now. We're going to hit. I think we're going to hit at least six tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, they did say it'd be better by the weekend. Hopefully, so uh, yes, fingers yeah, crossed. Indeed, getting a bit. I'm getting a bit tired of iced up windows <laughs> and doors and uh, stuff. Well, yeah. quite. Yeah. Unlike unlike our uh, next host on the show this week, because he's got a heated front windscreen, is of course the man who is the master of all things cable management related. It's Neville Bounds. Yes, if I was the person at Ford that invented the uh, heated front windscreen <laughs> and I kept the patent on it for all those years, I would be a very rich person by now. I know, mm. I know. And it, it, it seems like Ford are the only ones that do the fr- heated no, front windscreen. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah. Oh, do they? Now, oh, okay. But, uh, the patent ran out on that some, some time ago. Oh, that's anyway, a shame. we're not here to talk about a heated no, front true, windscreen. No, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly <laughs> off topic, yes. <laughs> so, Nev, now, now you've, uh, you've been... Uh, doing a little bit, little bit of flying again this week, haven't you? Yes, up to Edinburgh and back. A three twenty one Neo going up, and A three twenty Neo coming back. They are such nice aircraft. Those leap engines it makes it for makes for such a nice, quiet experience. I must say, and uh, it was fully lightly laden going up as well, which was nice, and a um, bit, bit more in the way of passenger. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Capacity on the way back. But, um, oh, when we did get back, yeah, so the flight time from Edinburgh to Heathrow, 55 minutes, the usual. Then we sat on the taxiway for another 20 minutes, waiting for an aircraft to push off the gate in front of us. That was great. Then when the aircraft did push off the gate and left, the guidance system wouldn't reset properly, and we spent another 25 minutes waiting for a fella to come out to marshal us onto the stand. So actually, the uh, manoeuvring of the aircraft on the ground almost took as long as the flight itself. Not for the first time, I have to say. Oh, but, blimey. You know, mm, there blimey. you go. 
that's how that's that's flying for you. That's what happened. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing you you were in the usual uh, reserve seat now. Yes, although I did give way to a colleague, <laughs> a, a chap who, I mean, sadly, he had to go to a funeral. Uh, oh, no. And he, of course, being stuck outside the gate like this was was not great. So I let him come steaming past me. We eventually uh, got off the aircraft, um, but he'd um, driven all the way from Dundee to Edinburgh that morning, and he'd got a funeral to go to in Twickenham. So uh, yeah, he was then getting a, a tube, then an Uber, I think. But uh, yeah, oh, it was wow. one of those days where nothing was going right. But this can happen, as we know, in aviation. We talk to our colleagues, don't we? The flight deck crew and cabin crew, and they, you know, they've got plenty of stories to tell us about when things don't quite go as they should. And we'll be mentioning one of those later in the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's all very inflated today. Yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, so we're going to welcome everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Loads of family in there this evening. It's a lovely full room uh, this evening, which is good. Hobby time. Hello to you. He was in there nice and early, along with Lee Davies, who was also in there very early this evening. Uh, hello to you as well. Uh, we've got uh, Tom, who's in there, new listener who's uh, been listening on Spotify uh, for a while. He's uh, first time joining us here in the live chat room. So hello to you, Tom. Uh, we've also got Mazus, our local listener, Mazus Karim. Good to see you as well in there. The Air Stig, hello to you. Captain Cruz is also in there. Main man Micah, Uncle Mike is in there wielding his blue spanner of doom just to keep away all those bots. Uh, I, uh, Ian Atchison, he's in there. Hello to you, Ian. Good to see you in there. Shuttlepod1, uh, Dirk S is in there. Aaron P, hello to you. Alan White as well. Uh, good to see you in there. Chris from Texas. Hello to you, Chris. Nice of you to join us. Uh, it must be afternoon where you are at the moment. Uh, uh, Bill is also in there. Hello, Bill. David Corston is also joining us. Good to see you, David, in there. Joining us from Spain, I'd imagine. He's uh, at home. Uh, Masha as well. Hello to you, Masha. Lovely to see you as well. Plane Talking or Plane Safety Podcast. Uh, Pip is in there. Hello to you, Pip. Uh, Jan is in there as well. Of course, loads of loads of people to run through this week. Uh, let me scroll down. Make sure I don't miss anyone out. Uh, no, I don't think I have missed anyone out. And thanks to everyone who's joined us this evening. And don't forget, if you are listening via uh, a podcast download audio app kind of playery thing... And if you want to see what it's like here on the world of YouTube land when we're all live, don't forget to search for us on YouTube. It's Plain Talking UK. And also click that subscribe and that bell icon to be notified when we are live and recording episodes like we are tonight. So as we said, we've got loads of news to get through this evening. And, uh, well, I suppose we better start off with some commercial news, guys. Indeed. Everybody Matt, ready? Hit the button. Okay. And the first story this week comes from various websites, uh, comparethemarket.com.au, that's a well-known one, uh, insidehook.com, caa.co.uk, and, uh, well, many websites this is. Uh, it's the most reliable and unreliable airlines, and a recent Compare the Market study looked at the number of complaints levelled against the major airlines. 
how many were remedied, as well as the cause of the complaints from flight cancellations to lost luggage and more. Data from 175 airlines was taken uh, from data from the CA, UK CAA in the uh, fourth quarter of 2017 and the second quarter of 2022. A variety of factors was looked at, including how many complaints were logged, uh, how many were remedied, and the cause of the complaints, the total compensation awarded, and the average compensation awarded were all taken into account. The table uh, we've got here uh, has the values normalized and a score assigned to the airline out of five. The higher the score, the worse of the airline. So the company with the most complaints is not necessarily the most unreliable airline. Also, the number of complaints was taken from data within the last 12 months. And while some airlines have ceased operations, claims are still being made against them. And data from the last four years has been considered. So we've got 20 major airlines ranked from the least bad uh, to worst, according to UK travellers. So starting at uh well we'll start at the well we'll start at the least bad we'll go from good to bad so the least worst airline uh was garuda indonesia uh followed by delta airlines air canada was in at 18 egypt air at 17 air astana uh who are based in kazakhstan uh, in 16, uh, Royal Brunei Airlines at 15, Air France KLM at 14, uh, Turkish Airlines 13, Air Portugal at 12, Air Mauritius in at 11, Virgin Atlantic at number 10, Air Portugal at number 9, Wizz Air and number 8, Small Planet Airlines, who I know they, they ceased airlines a, few, a while ago, and at number 7, Norwegian Air, at uh, six, yeah, Small Planet finished in 2018. Uh, Thomas Cook in at number five. They also ceased operations a few years ago. In at number four. And Nevs just took a big swig of his Pinot. Uh, this is British Airways. Uh, number three, Ryanair. At number two was Tui. And the worst airline, according to UK travellers, uh, was... EasyJet. Oh dear. <gasps> shock horror. Shock horror. Uh, topping this list uh, was budget at EasyJet, airline EasyJet. They dealt with a whopping 20,906 complaints over a 12-month uh, period, with just 54% of them being resolved. Second place of the most unreliable airlines was TUI, uh, resolving 64% of their 10,494 complaints, with each complaint awarded an average, get this, of £1,117.04. It's the most important bit, that 4p. Uh, Low-cost carrier Ryanair was in third, as I said, with BA and Thomas Cook making up the top five. However... If we look solely at the number of complaints, then Ryanair and British Airways had more than TUI, and both Wizz Air and Norwegian had more than Thomas Cook. TUI awarded each complaint the most money at uh, 
1,117 with Air Mauritius and Virgin Atlantic not far behind with the average payout being 1,017 pounds and 40 pence and 1,063 pounds and 41 pence respectively. Uh, uh, US Bill, Bill has a good comment by the way he's just saying the main complaint from BA was that seat 1A was never available I think that's mm, what well, I know. <laughs> but um, I think the shocking thing there was that Ryanair obviously wasn't in first place, as in the worst place. Um, I'm surprised about Tui, you know. I, I've mm -hmm. always heard good things uh, about there, so about them. So interesting to know what uh, what the story is behind all of that, isn't it? I, I, I must admit, though, Nev, I do worry sometimes with some of these things that, you know, it's like, are these people who are making... <laughs> how genuine are these complaints do you know what i mean it's like does does that kind of make sense it's just like because there are some people out there who specialize in doing nothing but complaining i mean you can have complaining complaining yeah. yes it's a new word i'm sticking with it uh, <laughs> it's if it's um yeah yeah lots lots of strikes and things like that as well yeah. but it, it's like it's that whole sort of um like you can have the best customer service in the entire world and somebody will still complain about you do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, I know we harp on about it on here, and I know Nev's sitting there with a smile on his face when I say it. And I've said, said it before <laughs> on the show, but when I had, when I had to get a refund from BA for the flights that I couldn't take to uh, to the US due to the the old COVID problem. I'm sorry, what? Um, uh, you need to take a sip yeah. of your drink now. Those no, are the I, rules. I haven't yeah. got a beer here. What? Handy. Not not until the wife gets home. Oh, okay. Um, oh. They were lightning quick in refunding me my money and apologising. So, yeah, you know, it might be it might be a one off, but um, that was my experience. I don't think it was a one off. I mean, you know, I mean, we know somebody who was working in in said call centre at the time, um, you know, and and there wasn't a great deal of quibbling or anything going on at all, was there? It was, you know, very efficient and uh, you know, and they didn't really have a lot, a lot of choice, did they? So, but this is kind of my whole point. It's like you you can complain about anyone if you if you focus hard enough on on what's going on there. I'm very very surprised to see EasyJet as officially the worst airline. I have to be honest because i've not had a negative experience with easyjet at all um but uh, uh or ryanair actually to be fair um yeah and actually john's just saying in our ear one of the things that could be could be a, a contributing factor to here is i mean you take ryanair and easyjet not so much tui i know they do have quite a packed program but certainly not a patch on on ryanair and easyjet but um is it a fair comparison given the volume that Ryanair and EasyJet are both having their schedules, Nev? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the more you fly or operate sectors, the more things that can go wrong. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Mm. So if you think about how tight their schedules are anyway, whether it's, you know, lost luggage or whether it's pushing back from the gate late or making someone late for a connecting flight somewhere. So many things can, uh, you know, conspire against you, can't they? And when you're doing the sort of schedule that those two airlines are doing, it's inevitable that they're probably going to get more complaints than anybody else. But lost luggage with Ryanair. Nobody can afford to put luggage in, in the hold with Ryanair, can they? Good point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Indeed. There we go. So, uh, yeah, I, I must admit, I've, I'm finding I'm, be I'm being very, uh, very sceptical shall we say with this particular uh, with this particular uh, top 20 as it happens okay so, moving on to the next story matt uh, and this is this is 
Ryanair good news. Oh, I say, how unusual. Uh, the uh, the uh, sources on this one are Irish Mirror and also careers.ryanair.com. And the headline is Ryanair are hiring for numerous jobs at Dublin Airport with some top-notch perks. Ryanair is hiring for a number of office roles at Dublin Airport and there are some great salaries and Ooh. benefits on offer. Some of the unique roles include ID coordinator. That sounds like a very complicated job. A payroll specialist and a roster specialist Ryanair has advertised several full-time positions with a range of incredible benefits ID admin and coordinator to join the ground ops department duties include assisting with the onboarding process of new joiners ensuring paperwork is in order to apply for an airport ID conducting uh, background checks on applications for said IDs uh, assist with internal co- uh, controls and procedures including documentation uh, now uh, I know from a conversation that I've had with somebody I know who used to work there that uh, uh, payroll is a is a, a unique species shall we say with uh, uh, <laughs> it's uh, a unique species when it comes to payroll uh, with Ryan Air because of so many things involved I won't go into details because I'll probably get shot down but uh, yeah so you, you you'll have your foot your hands full with this one uh, payroll specialist duties include support system integrations between HR and global payroll systems including resolving discrepancies check the input of information relating to new starters i.e tax bank information etc prepare and process spreadsheets for various departments uh, and deductions prepare and bulk load spreadsheets to the payroll uh, proven experience in a previous training or administrative position with a knowledge of payroll systems and irish payroll payroll law blimey uh, a rostering specialist is someone else they're looking for as well this position would be ideal for recent graduates to work as part of a close-knit team and to gain extensive experience the requirements for this position include proven experience in a previous rostering or administration position uh, pc literacy i.e microsoft office excel in particular excellent organizational skills and communication skills and your duties will include efficiently plan and coordinate ryanair's ground ops rosters in cooperation with the flight schedule ensuring flight coverage is maintained goodness me i don't think i'd want that job uh, ensure rostered staff have required training uh, qualifications for said tasks uh, maintain and deliver roster patterns ensuring rosters are well balanced assist with any other tasks that are reasonably required to carry out the daily operation of the ground operations rostering team and distribution and planning of crew annual leave whilst maintaining operational flight and standby coverage uh, also they do have positions for good old-fashioned cabin crew as well. Ryanair's People Director Daryl Hughes says, we're delighted to announce our cabin crew recruitment event taking place next Wednesday, the 25th of January. So that's this Wednesday coming, as we will seek to fill a further 200 Dublin-based cabin crew roles ahead of a busy summer 2023. As Ireland and Europe's number one airline, these exciting Ryanair cabin crew opportunities offer candidates the chance to secure the best cabin crew jobs in aviation Mm, i don't know about that Uh, where hard work is rewarded with fast track career opportunities our cabin crew enjoy industry leading five days on three days off rosters equivalent to a bank holiday every week 
again uh fantastic remuneration packages mm, again not so sure about that uh outstanding career development opportunities and world-class training i mean it is one heck of an experience there's no two ways about it so uh, yeah it is amazing considering uh, all the stories we've covered over the last few months matt there's one job missing off that list which i thought would be on there right okay go on it it well okay Mm. <laughs> they've got right there's lots of jobs going in du- dublin apparently something like 170 odd uh jobs are going uh so i, I get we can't list them all here i think so i dare say if we look cl- <laughs> if we look more closely carlos i'm sure we'll find an it role in there are, are you thinking of applying then are you gonna well, no, you're gonna no, go and fix all their that, it jobs is that, that yeah well no that would not be my forte <laughs> at all I will leave. Yeah, I will yeah. leave that to you and yeah. Nev. Right. Um, but what, one of the things that uh, that does that caught my eye on this on this story was that that said about uh, good good pay. You know, mm. I- I- decent pay. And I know because I've been <laughs> I've, I've been to an airport and and asked about pay at for jobs, yeah. and the pay is not that good. No. Well, not round here anyway. No, indeed. A Captain Crew says Ryan there says, says thank you very much for the five minute free advertising. Uh, hey, it's all about it's all about jobs. Let's be honest. We're we're, we're excited that there are jobs in the aviation yes. industry because if we, we've only got to go back a couple of years where we think it was very very different, where it it wasn't going to be the case. It's it was. Uh, and let's be honest. Finish. Why wouldn't you want to work in Dublin and go and have a lovely pint of Guinness. I would absolutely love to go and live in Dublin. I don't think I could ever there afford it in a million years. I think it's more expensive than blooming London at the moment. Nev's and also, I, like I say, also, I'm finding it desperately amusing, Carlos, <laughs> that you're suggesting that Nev might go for an IT role at B, uh, not at BA, but at Ryanair. Uh, that's slightly frightening. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, do they need a coffee boy? I could do that, says Mazus. Yeah, I think doing <laughs> IT at BA is. Uh, that would be a very challenging job. <laughs> a brave job, I think. I, I wouldn't want that. I, I, I could, I could vision Nev doing IT at uh, at Ryanair and and changing the whole way Ryanair functions, having like a Ryanair first class. A Ryanair first class. Yes, I'm sure the financial director would have something to say about that. I'd be shot yeah. down and I, asked to leave. Very I was going to say, I, I dare say, Mr. O'Leary would come after you personally for that one. Oh, <laughs> Premium economy in Ryanair. Oh, there's, there's an image. There's oh, an image. Oh, uh, blimey. <laughs> it's, uh, 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 Ryanair really do have a good graduate programme, apparently, uh, John is telling us, actually. Uh, there are programmes in 15 different areas of the business, ranging from 12 months to three years. Many of them are professionally accredited, and they're really worth checking out. I, in brackets John, personally know a few of the grads who have finished the programme, and their careers have had such a boost from having been on the program so that'll teach me i shouldn't be quite so sniffy should i that'll that, that's that's me told off <laughs> never mind lee, lee davis is saying that ryanair first class would equal no baggage charge that's it that's you that's your first class is not paying for your bags <laughs> quite quite uh, hello oh, hello sturman as well by the way joining us in the chat room hello to you yeah uh, we've got a message from oh Oh, yeah. Bill's Bill, retracted his message. Bill retracted apparently. his message. We uh, can't say okay. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, isn't isn't oh, Ryanair their first class inside the fuselage? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, quite. Uh, and on that bombshell, uh, shall we move on? Nev. Before having, having just undone I all know. the good work we've done oh, for Ryanair now, yeah. <laughs> so whilst I pe- 
pour this beer. Nev's got a great story. This one really, really brought, caught my eye this week when I found this because it's uh, it's definitely one I hadn't heard of before, Nev. No, me neither. It's very interesting. It's on the walesonline.co.uk and it says that Swansea Airport has announced that it's launching flights to and from Exeter this year. The first scheduled passenger flights from the airport in almost 20 years. An announcement was made on its social media page explaining how the move will provide interchange access to airports. There have been no scheduled passenger flights operating from Swansea Airport since 2004. Passengers who fly to Exeter from Swansea will be able to use the airport as an interchange, getting connecting flights to Spain, Ireland and the Channel Islands. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's the first of many improvements to come and uh, with further infrastructure and services set to return to the airport based in Fairwood Common over the course of the coming year. Get Swansea st stories straight to your inbox box with our newsletter, it says. A statement read, scheduled services are back. Swansea Airport are pleased to announce that scheduled services will relaunch from the airport this year and the end of March will see the start of services between Exeter and Swansea. Joining the airport with Exeter provides interchange access to airports across the UK as well as the Channel Islands, Ireland and Spain. This is the first step in a long planned improvement plan for the airport which will see further infrastructure and services returning to the airport over the year. Wales Online recently reported how the airport looks likely to be leased once more to its current operator despite complaints about the way it's been run over the years. The airport is owned by Swansea Council and managed by Swansea Airport Limited which has served a notice requesting a new tenancy. Two other groups want to run the airport, but a report before Cabinet has recommended sticking with Swansea Airport Limited, which took over the lease from a predecessor around 20 years ago, while ensuring it's continued to invest in the facility. The Council doesn't want to operate the airport itself because of the cost and also the significant carbon emissions involved. The authority is aiming to be net zero in carbon emissions by 2030, and the Council has to respond by February the 3rd, and the Cabinet will meet next week to decide. Well, that's I had not heard that news, I must Man. say. Uh, interesting. Uh, that's going to be a very useful hop uh, to Exeter and back, isn't it, I would imagine. Um, so, um, But it's interesting, isn't it, how um, if you look at what's happened to Doncaster Sheffield, so that's just, you know, gone completely in terms yeah. of operation, but the, a much smaller air, uh, airfield like Swansea is is becoming viable. So uh, let's see what happens and let, let's see if they can Indeed. I, I can't help but feel that this is quite a useful link as well, isn't it? Because you are basically sort of linking very down south, if you like, with with yeah. sort of Wales. I think that, that that could be potentially quite a popular route. Yeah, and I, I think it's all about um, well, it's all about what what aircraft they're running, mm. what the uh, what the schedule is going to be like, and the connectivity between those other flights. It's obviously got to they've got to work it out you know, to, make, <laughs> to make sure that they can uh, they can make that work. Uh, Captain Cruz is saying so. If someone else operates the airport, the carbon emission doesn't exist. Is that how Absolutely, that works? Yeah. yeah. Did, did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dirk had to Google whether Exeter and Swansea where where Exeter and Swansea actually are. Sorry ignorant continental european here that's all right <laughs> I, I just i just i just looked on google earth actually at um, swansea airport and it's it must have been an old yeah. uh, well it was an old raf base but it looks like it's one of the um the original sort of a a um runway you know a run 
what they call it, an A uh, kind it, of runway setup. Just, just pop that one back up, John. Sorry, uh, Ian is suggesting also, by the way, that it might be just as easy to uh, to drive, uh, almost as quick to drive from there. And also, can I just say, uh, if you're listening or if you're watching on the YouTube, if you're listening on the audio, uh, pop it back. Uh, the uh, on this, uh, <laughs> there's a very nice looking gin and tonic in the front of that picture there, with all the little berries and stuff in the front. I'm loving that. I could, I would, I would murder one of those right now. <laughs> Mm. Anyway, sorry. I, I, sorry. Can, can you tell I haven't been able to have anything tasty for like about two also, weeks now? Also, just back to the story. Just, oh, oh, sorry. Right. Okay. I, I was just just looking at some looking at some pictures on oh. on Google Earth of Swansea Airport. Oh. It's, not, it's not the biggest airport. It's nice to hear that you're branching out of the things you usually look at on the internet, though, Carlos. I'm very pleased to say. I, I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, Matt, that your that your summer house is probably bigger than uh, Swansea. Oh, right. Airport. Okay. Well, certainly the terminal building. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh dear, scandalous. So scandalous. we haven't we haven't got uh, Armando with us this week, as we said. He's busy flying the mean airwaves of America at the moment. But uh, he has put together a video for us this week, and it's one of the biggest stories this week, which caught uh, the news feeds and uh, especially with the social media feeds with the videos that came with the video. Uh, we're not going to run the media on here because uh, obviously it was very, it's not the best, uh, it's quite distressing actually, it's not very nice to watch yeah. at all on there. But Armando has very kindly put together the story for us this week. So Matt, run PT. Guys, this first story that I'm going to talk about is a very important incident that happened this week. It was an ATR 72500 operated by Yeti Airlines. 68 passengers on board with four crew, two pilots, two flight attendants. Unfortunately, it crashed on approach into the Pokhara Airport. Pokhara Airport recently opened uh, just January 1st of this year. was replacing the old Pokhara Airport. And Pokhara, where it sits, is the gateway to one of the biggest tourist areas of, of Nepal, which is the Annapura circuit, you know, base of the, the Everest mountains, lots of tourists going in there. The investigation obviously is still happening, but the weather was clear. And by what it seems is they were on approach. The, the flight had originated in Kathmandu and they were on approach on a visual approach uh, initially to runway three zero and probably based on winds, they decided to do a circling approach, visual circling approach, down to runway one to the opposite direction. There were social media posts or videos captured. Very interestingly enough, there was a, a, a passenger that was live streaming from the actual aircraft. But so they initiated an approach into three zero, circled uh, to runway one two. And somewhere in that, the aircraft stalled. You can see the left wing uh, dropping and, and the aircraft stalling into the ground at a very low altitude from an unrecoverable altitude. A lot of similarities from that ATR that crashed a couple years ago in China with the visual approach. So what, why, you know, this is obviously important and, and, and we keep our, the families and the passengers from a couple different nations in our thoughts. But... Uh, we wanted to, I wanted to talk about circling approaches and especially visual approaches, especially as airline pilots, as corporate pilots, really professional pilots who really get used to flying with instrument guidance. Even, uh, even when we do visual approaches, we always back it up with an instrument approach, so whether that's an ILS, a GPS, some kind of approach that gives you vertical and lateral guidance. 
Now we get used to that as professional pilots. And to conduct a visual approach or a visual circling approach kind of goes back to some of that basic airmanship, basic flying skills that may atrophy as you get further and further in your flying career. It's the reason I still fly a Cub on my spare time is to keep those stick and rudder skills. But that's just me, right? And I have the resources to do that. And in talking about those approaches, now these, these pilots, these air crews that fly over in Nepal, these are some of the most challenging airfields in the world. So I have no doubt that their training programs are adequate enough and they've been doing it for years and years and years. While it is a very risky and dangerous area to fly, I believe that that corporate knowledge, if you want to call it that, does get passed down um, through the ranks. Um, but it is still difficult. It's still difficult every once in a while to conduct a visual and a circling approach um, because you have to feel the airplane. You have to remember how the airplane behaves in, in that kind of configuration. And, and as far as configurations, we still have a little bit to learn about, you know, where their flap settings were, were their engines at full power, things like that. There were no mechanical irregularities with this aircraft leading up to this, <clears throat> as far as we know so far. But uh, again, it's just kind of a, a, a thing that could potentially be dangerous if you don't do it often is, is these kind of visual maneuvers. And we do practice it in the simulator, but circling approaches, especially at night, are actually prohibited in many operators, many charter operators and corporate operators, just for that reason. It's, it's not dangerous by any means. I don't want anybody listening to the show that, to think that this is dangerous, but there is an increased risk with the proficiency of flying an aircraft at low altitude, at low uh, lower lift situations, right? Low air speeds, lower altitudes that, that may not be a common thing that we do. So very unfortunate incident that happened here. And we hope to learn that the, the last report was that the flight data recorder and this cockpit voice recorder had been recovered. That's just, uh, just yesterday, I believe. Um, so we will learn hopefully from this incident. So it doesn't happen again. Thank you, Armando. I mean, that that's, I mean, it, it's just awful, isn't it? It's, mm. uh, uh, we, we were discussing actually there, because I, obviously I, I'm quite naive about these things, um, and sort of asking like Carlos and that sort of questions and, and John as well. And, um, uh, I mean, is it just, uh, because of uh, where they're flying is, is the reason perhaps why, uh, Carlos, you had an interest, well, not an interesting, a, a very distressing statistic that you were sharing with us from an article you were reading yeah it just said matt that there since the year 2000 there's been over over 360 fatalities in the country through aviation related accidents whether right. it be airliners like this or um small ga aircraft gosh yeah hmm. and we think it's got you to remember as, as well here is that um you know, when you're a GA pilot uh, in, well, normal rural Suffolk or Norfolk or something like that, and if you have a technical failure of some sort, then there are plenty of fields to put the aircraft mm. down it to. It doesn't always mm. guarantee a, a, you know, a successful landing. The amount of high ground, of course, yeah. where this aircraft was, that the options are very, very limited indeed. And yeah, if something goes wrong, there's you've got very little um, uh, you know, options ahead of you, I would imagine. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, very Aaron true. Aaron P makes a good point in there, and that's something we don't do on the show is speculation on how we think it happened. Because mm. until those black box flight data, the flight data recorder and a cockpit voice recorder are listened to and, uh, di- you know, and uh, checked out, you know, we're not going to know what exactly happened here. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I, I'm, I'm the first to admit. I think the, the trouble is, is because I don't have perhaps the knowledge that that a lot of you guys have there. So when something like this does happen, there are lots of questions and and speculation, if you like, that I'm you know sort of either interested in or listening about um, because um, yeah, just sort of intrigued to, to know more about it. But yeah, as you say, that's a good quite thing rightly. With, the good thing having Armando as as our as our, our you know fourth member of the team is being yeah. a being a fully qualified and very, very, very experienced, experienced pilot, pilot yeah. as Armando is, he does give us uh, an insight into mm. some of the issues that could be had when yep, uh, you absolutely. Know, flying there. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that, Armando. Mm. Uh, moving on to the next story. And uh, this one is coming to us from simpleflying.com. Slightly more. Um, more a happy story this one especially if you like ice cream oh uh, i do like ice cream i do although i do like a nice sorbet sor- sorbet sorbet well. or sorbet <laughs> i know get some, um, get some cream for that exactly yeah, united I, airlines I so if you fly united airlines for our u.s listeners uh united airlines are to return ice cream the sunday the ice cream sunday cart on all oh, well, international oh. flights <laughs> blimey all we need now is one of those old school cinemas, um, the extra projectors they used to have <laughs> oh. on the aircraft. Nev, remember those with yes. the green, the red? Is it green, red, and blue? Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. 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 So United Airlines has announced uh, that it's bringing its ice cream sundae cart back to the long haul international flights in a move that will be well received by customers. The announcement comes amidst a strong pandemic recovery that the American carrier looks to ensure a robust growth in 2023. Decades uh, For decades, the ice cream sundae cart has been an essential part of the United travel experience. Flight attendants would come down the aisle with the cart and passengers would select from a variety of toppings. Oh, my God, this sounds amazing. From a variety of toppings to their, create their own ice cream sundae in the sky. In this way, the sundae mm-hmm. cart quickly became a staple of travelling with United Airlines. Unfortunately, the airline was forced to discontinue the cart during the height of the pandemic in an attempt to mitigate the spread of the coronavirus the carrier opted for pre-packaged ice cream instead although it was a suitable decision given the circumstances travelers were frustrated by the lack of freshness and customization that pre-packaged ice cream offered in comparison to the sunday cart united uh, customers rejoiced I expect they did. Uh, when the airline announced last month it was finally bringing back the car. However, the celebration was short-lived as the carrier decided the Sunday car would only be available on select routes out of San Francisco Airport. Specifically, Frankfurt, Brisbane, Sydney and Singapore Changi Airport. Where the hell is London? Anyway, returning to all long-haul flights, the airline has since announced it will bring back the cart to all long-haul flights in February. It's worth noting that the Sunday cart is only available to passengers in the Polaris Business Class. Oh, here we go. Only available to passengers in the Polaris Business Class cabin, who also enjoy a number of other perks, including seats at Life Flat, Saks Fifth Avenue bedding, 
to say um, you know, say no more. Uh, United's announcement it's bringing back the world of now ice cream Sunday car ultimately comes at a time when the carrier is looking to sustain its momentum from 2022 as it kicks off into 2023. The airline has recently made a considerable strides in re- reinstating flights on routes that have not been operated uh, since the pandemic and is also working towards expanding its fleet with new aircraft that it can use to support the new routes as it grows its flight network. The return of the Sunday car is the cherry on top and aims to incentivise travellers to fly with United. And the Sunday cart is, well, it's something I'm definitely going to have to try this. I'm going to have to fly Polaris class now, aren't I? Uh, whether or not it's a strategy is successful in bringing the carrier greater profits is something that will be revealed in time, due, or in due time. But for now, the other airlines would do well to watch United's strategy and carefully see what it does well and where to stand to learn from it. So... I must say, from the pictures there, that does look nice. And I have to say, Air Canada done a very similar thing to this many years. I think Air Canada still do it. They offer the little tubs of ice cream with maple syrup on, which uh, I enjoyed once travelling over to. That was the wings of a Pittsburgh, actually, when I flew with Air Canada. Um, but, yeah, I, I like this. Especially yes, if you're watching then, a film. Well, yeah, the only thing I would say about it is that when, um, you know, we've always got problems with uh, excess alcohol consumption on flights and having the uh, having the poor cabin crew having to deal with that, they're going to have to deal with serious sugar rushes now, aren't they, with the uh, <laughs> ah. achieving this. So, um, but uh, no, I'm looking forward one day to, to trying this out, I must say. Um, but... Um, yeah, it looks uh, very tasty, isn't it? Very nice. I know. I'm so hungry now. <laughs> mm. Oh, dear. So what's going to happen next? Carlos seems to have disappeared. I think it's you next, oh. Nev, if that's oh, all right. Uh, I'll take over, if you wouldn't mind. Story number six, I believe, is with you. It is. Uh, and uh, it's on the independent.co.uk. Sorry, I had to get a beer. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> Did you now? <laughs> well, this... this, uh, this uh, headline has got a subheadline which says oh shoot a british airways new hire cost his new employer fifty thousand pounds after inadvertently deploying an emergency aircraft slide on a boeing triple seven jet when the person announces arms armed arm doors and cross check it means that the plane is ready to depart and the doors are set such that if opened an inflatable slide will automatically deploy that can be used for egress. When armed, even in inadvertently opening the door will trigger the deployment of the slide. A crew member working his first wide body flight uh, was working on fl- uh, BA-75 uh, to Lagos on Friday the 13th of January. Oops. And he made the error which resulted in the deployment of a slide shortly after pushback at Heathrow, the airline confirmed. Boeing 777's inflated emergency slide uh, protruding from the side of the aircraft prompted emergency services teams to surround the plane, thinking it was about to be evacuated. Uh, Passengers were delayed for four hours, and after removing the slide and returning to the gate, the decision was made to operate the flight with a different airframe. Uh, The crew member was stood down for that flight. However, the UK Sun reports that the young man was not fired, but he has found himself sliding back to training. See what I did there? Uh, his, mistake is, 
thought to have cost the airline about £50,000 when <gasps> factoring in the mishap that caused a four-hour delay, including a missed takeoff slot, ruined slide, compensation for the passengers on board, and additional duty pay for the other members of the flight crew. These things can happen, can't they? Um, and, um, well, I've not been on a flight where that's happened, I must say, so far, but, you know, it's... Um, the, the the time that it can be a problem, um, and I've had this a couple of times where we have been asked to um, vacate the gate and just go on to remote uh, stand or somewhere else in the airport because of some flight delays. And of course, when they shut the aircraft down and then uh, start the engines again, they've got to go through all that procedure again. So it, it, you've got to be careful that all of those things are properly checked but this just sounded like a normal departure to me so um yeah it's yes uh, a bit unfortunate <clears throat> bit of an oops i think is the word we're looking for uh aaron p is saying imagine how he must have felt well done ba for retraining and supporting i mean it is a very innocent and easy mistake to make up well maybe not an easy mistake to make but when it, it yeah it's okay apparently it's not an easy mistake to make but nevertheless we are all human and we do make mistakes so i guess we have to be a little bit uh, a little what, bit more you, supportive <laughs> if you've got kids they'd make a hell of an addition to the swimming pool true true that yeah if you're lucky enough to have a swimming pool that is of course that's, that big uh, yeah <laughs> quite <laughs> yeah yeah, Carlos has one in his back garden, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're 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 off for a pool party. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like a plan. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So moving on to the next story, yes, and uh, we're going from uh, with a slight issue here, obviously with uh, with a crew member, but we're going to a good story, Matt, mm. with this next one because, um, well, <clears throat> BA are now looking for staff. Indeed, yes, and not because of the incident we've just been talking about. Let's be clear about that. Uh, British Airways, TUI and EasyJet are looking for new flight attendants, as indeed a Ryanair, as we mentioned earlier on. ChronicleLive.co.uk is our source for this one. If you're looking, if you're a bit of an explorer who loves nothing more than flying around the world, then British Airways, EasyJet and TUI and Ryanair, let's not forget them, may currently have the perfect job for you. Uh, several airlines are hiring at the time of writing this, but you'll have to to navigate some tricky requirements including certain height limits and having the ability to swim proficiently that's carlos out then uh that's <laughs> british airways uh, from barbados to berlin british airways cabin crew access more cities than any other airline the uk's U uk's flag carrier claims crew earn a basic salary of eighteen thousand one hundred sixty nine pounds with that figure potentially bumped up to twenty eight thousand pounds a year with flying duty pay and a tax-free subsidence allowance as well. Flight attendants get staff travel benefits from day one, which include discounted tickets and standby tickets. The latter allows staff members to take a chance of bagging an untaken seat on BA flights, potentially allowing them to fly in business class for a fraction of the normal price applications are now open and assessments are currently taking place you'll take to the skies from early 2023 onwards if successful you must be between 1.57 meters and 2.01 meters tall to be accepted and have no visible tattoos only one set of small round earrings are allowed when it comes to pier piercings uh, TUI the German travel company is recruiting cabin crew 
until the end of January. The airline operates to 79 destinations in 33 countries with more than 68 aircraft, meaning there's a great chance for you to see the world. The tour operator airline has roles open in 13 airport bases across the UK and Ireland, including Bristol, Stansted, Gatwick, Birmingham and Aberdeen. The salary is not listed online and wasn't provided by the company when contacted, but Glassdoor suggests the average salary is £22,000 for cabin crew. To apply, you must be able to reach uh, a minimum height, uh, reach to a minimum height of six foot two, that's 1.88 metres, without shoes on and flat feet on the floor. Speak and write fluent English and be able to swim 25 metres, among several other requirements. Uh, EasyJet, uh, the budget airline, is currently recruiting staff at its Edinburgh, Liverpool, Gatwick, Belfast, Luton and Manchester bases, although how many jobs are going is unclear. You must be between 157.5 centimetres and 190 centimetres uh, without shoes tall to apply. Be fluent in written and spoken English and have no visible tattoos on your head, face and neck or any tattoos that are deemed offensive or inappropriate that can't be covered up discreetly. Uh, you must also be able to fit into an aircraft jump seat harness which measures 106 centimetres across the lap and 157 centimetres from shoulder to waist. The Gatwick roll currently pays £22,000 as well as commission. Uh, if you'd like to go further afield, Emirates, uh, they're also recruiting. The Dubai-based air carrier is currently recruiting staff for its Dubai base. Competitive tax-free salary and flying pay starting at an average of £27,000. Accommodation and transport are included and concessional tickets with Emirates and partner airlines are perks. You must be 160 centimetres tall and able to reach 212 centimetres high. The no visible tattoos in uniform and a minimum of one year customer service experience is required. Recruitment open days are happening all over the UK, including days in Liverpool, Glasgow, Guildford, Edinburgh, London, Heathrow, Gatwick and Luton. Uh, Milton Keynes, Newcastle, Manchester, Richmond, Gloucester, Birmingham, Belfast, Shrewsbury, Stoke-on-Trent, Leeds, Croydon, Winchester and Sheffield. Uh, these are just some of the venues in the UK over the next 28 days. Wow, they really are uh, really are uh, looking <laughs> looking out for crew there, aren't they? Or alternative, or alternatively, you might like to be cabin crew in the RAF. So this one is coming directly from raf.mod.uk, their recruitment pages specifically. As an RAF air and ground steward, you will work as cabin crew on the A330-200, Voyager aircraft and later as part of our specialist field catering squadron or work alongside industry partners in military messes. Pay in the first six months is £16,800 plus benefits. Pay until completion of phase two training is £21,400 pounds plus benefits once training is complete payment as per raf rank senior aircraftman applicants must be uh, aged between 17.5 and 47 years old must uh, attend before uh, must attend before the their 48th birthday have gcses at a minimum of grade g that's grade one to three uh, in english that's language and yeah, yeah in english language and mathematics if you're qualified or experienced cabin crew please see full entry requirements uh, for entry details uh, candidates must be able to swim 
uh, candidates must also be within the height range of 161 centimetres and 195 centimetres, uh, commit to three years service post phase two training, uh, pass the defence aptitude uh, assessment. You must also pass a fitness test and uh, you must also pass background checks to receive security check level clearance. There we are. Lots of great jobs on offer. Uh, the RAF one is uh, a surprise, but I suppose, you know, when they're flying flying uh, people around, they do, they still need crew, don't they? The pay is just... I mean, everyone's saying in the chat, the pay is... Te- and the pay is terrible. When you look at how much the, the, the salaries are, I mean, I'll tell you, the BA1's basic salary, 18000 potentially bumping up to 28000 a year with um, flying duty pay and tax-free uh, allowance and stuff... Can I just point out that you can go and work at Aldi stacking baked beans on a shelf and get 22000 a year? Wow, yeah. Okay. Uh, admittedly, you won't, you, won't get the, uh, you won't get the perks, perhaps, that you would get with the airline, to I mean, be fair, obviously, <laughs> being on the ground stacking baked beans on a shelf is not as fun as being on board a, no, you know, an indeed, A320 indeed. or a 737, but... The point I'm making is, is for the amount of um, responsibility, responsibility, yeah. training, and everything else that comes with that job. Yeah. I think the salaries for cabin crew, especially, are rubbish. Yeah, yeah, and true. I, I said that. Well, go, go and get yourself a job at Emirates then, because um, that's yeah, that's considerably <laughs> better. So, although it's although well, what, it's... Do you, what do you think, Nev, about the the pay kind of? Um, it's always been on the low side, isn't it? to put it mildly mm. and uh, so much of their salary has to be made up from other things apart from doing the job itself and if you think about what the job is <clears throat> it's a safety critical job isn't it and, and, they're, and they're highly trained and very well trained too um, so uh, I th- as uh, John Hutchinson uh, former Concorde captain said during his interview with myself and, and Nick all those uh, months ago uh, the cabin crew aren't there to serve you tea and coffee. No. They're there to help you when it all goes horribly wrong. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think we, 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 we just really need to remember that these boys and girls are there for, uh, for a safety critical uh, role. And mm. I think that, that is often forgotten, isn't it? Uh, definitely. True. Definitely. Yeah. Wise words as always, Nev. Wise words. Thanks very much. Well, he's the wise member of the team. True, 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 true. So, next story is coming to us from Armando again. And uh, we're going over to the US for this next one. And again, this is a story that made the social media platforms quite heavily this week, including Twitter. And it was also featured on uh, VAS Aviation as well, uh, network on there as well with their live ATC recordings. It was quite interesting listening if you've not already heard it. So, uh, over to you, Armando. Uh this next incident that we're going to talk about happened up in New York's JFK airport just uh, just recently. This, and I know all the podcasts, are, all the, the national news coverage, all the podcasts are probably going to talk about this and have their own takes on this. I think this was a disaster averted by an air traffic controller, an astute air traffic controller that could have potentially resulted in the worst air disaster in many, many, many years. So what happened, there was a, there was a Delta Airlines 737 uh, at JFK that was departing for Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. They were lined up on runway four left, so heading northeast, and they had actually been cleared for takeoff. All of the departures that day were departing from runway four left. 
uh, an American Airlines 777 headed for London Heathrow had taxied out of its gate and had been given their taxi clearance, uh, which included a, a crossing of runway 31 left, taxi to runway 4 left. So they were, air traffic control had advised them that they would be departing 4 left, but in, in as Matt's probably going to put up a picture here, but in, in getting to runway 4 left, they would have had to cross runway 31 left. All the other departures were lined up on the taxiway for runway 4 left. American Airlines, through what seems to be a lack of situational awareness, that, that 777 actually crossed runway 4 left and were taxiing to runway 31 left. How, without looking at it visually, I think, and again, Matt will put up some pictures, but what this resulted in is what we often get in a simulator scenario, which is you are cleared for takeoff, you're rolling down the runway, and an aircraft taxis in front of you. The Delta Airlines 737 was already on the takeoff roll. They had uh, gotten a couple thousand feet down the runway where the, where the American Airlines 777 cross was at Taxiway Juliet, which was about 4,000 feet down the runway of, of four left. So Delta Airlines had already initi initiated their takeoff roll, and the tower controller was the one that actually noticed that American Airlines was crossing the wrong runway. The tower controller canceled the takeoff clearance, and you can hear it on the audio. And uh, Delta Airlines, we, you know, we, won't, we don't know what happened inside the, the flight deck, but immediately initiated a rejected takeoff. Uh, there was some varying data on this from 135 knots to 104 knots. I think the latest that I saw that they were, they were at about 104 knots when they initiated the rejected takeoff. Were able to uh, do it as they practice and stop short uh, by about a thousand feet of the American Airlines aircraft, the 777, or or as it was crossing by Taxiway Juliet. So they still had about a thousand feet to spare, which is not a whole lot on an 11,000 foot runway. Um, and 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 then. Once that happened, the, you can hear the tower controller was trying to figure out what happened, whose fault it was. Obviously, that's not the, and everybody, I think, did the right thing, which, which is not figure out who did what at that point, but just make sure that all the aircraft are safe. You know, he, the, the air traffic controller, the tower controller verified that the American Airlines was fully crossed and kind of just advised them, hey, something went wrong. I got a number for you for a possible pilot deviation. And they just took the number down. And then he made sure that the Delta Airlines 737 was good to go, uh, advised them or, or asked them if they needed any, any assistance. Delta ended up taxiing back to the gate. And I don't, you know, we don't know what happened yet, but that flight didn't depart until about 15 hours later. The American Airlines 777, because it didn't have the, the, the rejected takeoff or anything like that, they ended up departing for London about an hour and a half after, after the incident happened. But uh, again, this could have been prob prob you know, one of the worst, if not the worst disaster, air disaster since Tenerife uh, many, many years ago. It's a similar situation, it was low visibility and, and just a lack of situational awareness or a loss of situational awareness from the American Airlines crew is everything is pointing to that. Could have resulted in just this, this absolutely disastrous situation. For us, it's in incredibly important to always taxi with a taxi diagram up, whether that's on an EFB or an iPad uh, electronic flight bag, or on whatever displays your aircraft has. Uh, the aircraft that I fly have both. We fly with an iPad and the taxiway charts on there. But even then, when you have some kind of expectation bias, 
or in this case, there might have been a little bit of a delay between the, the taxi instruction and the aircraft actually getting to the taxiway, to the runway. Uh, there was a little bit of a delay in that, and there is so much going on on the departure procedure, departure checklist, you know, pre-takeoff checklist, taxi checklist, all those things, where I can see this happen, especially at a busy airport with lots of taxiways, lots of runways like JFK. Boston Logan's the same. Uh, lots of intersections and intersecting runways. San Francisco is the same. We had almost had you know a, a terrible mishap with Air Canada a couple years ago there, <clears throat> um, where an aircraft was lined up on the taxiway to land. But uh, I could see this happening. You know, it's it's one of these things where you almost think it's it's just a matter of time before something like this happens. And uh, thank goodness that the air traffic controller, the tower controller, was able to issue or cancel the takeoff clearance and the and the Delta Airlines crew didn't didn't hesitate initiating that rejected takeoff. Uh, looking forward to hearing your guys' thoughts on this as well as uh, those of the chat room. Indeed, thank you, Armando. Now, one of the things that we were talking about while while listening to that video is Nev. You were saying like um, the the radio chatter, especially at JFK. Uh, I mean, it's not a surprise that people have trouble filtering it out. Well, the problem is, it's obviously a very busy airport, clearly, uh, with crossing runways and, and you know, seriously complicated and busy ground operations. And obviously, the controllers have to deliver the information to pilots in, in a timely manner because they just mm. haven't got time to have long, long uh, conversations. The problem is, though, is that things can get missed. Yeah. And also, if there's distraction in the cockpit, um, then this is another thing. But it just goes to show, doesn't it, how um, how difficult these things can be. And that was a yeah. you know that was in the high speed uh, regime uh, of the rejected takeoff. I think it was 105 knots. Um, so that's uh, that is definitely considered in, in, in the high speed area. Um, now. Fortunately, you know, there was no collision, uh, but it, it, as we all can see and hear, that could have been a very different story, no, no two ways about it. But mm. it just shows you how um, how important it is to pay attention um, and not allow yourself to get distracted. Now, we don't know the outcome of this, so we're not speculating, but clearly something went wrong in the, in the communication uh, chain somewhere. Yeah, mm. indeed. Carlos, any thoughts? No, I, I just saying I, I did watch this. You know, I watched this on the on the vast um, aviation website, which is really that was it's interesting. It's a great little website. If you don't, if you've not already seen it on YouTube, they um, cover all these kind of things. They have the the live ATC transmissions of of these incidents and stuff, and you can listen to them. And it has like an overlay, uh, which we've obviously shown on the show before on here. And uh, isn't it, it's interesting to hear the conversation chatter between the uh, air traffic control in the tower and uh, and the pilots because sometimes um never and i think you've listened to him before as well sometimes it can get quite heated conversations mm. between uh, pilots and atc one of the things micah is saying here as well as saying another issue is that the ground frequencies are different uh from tower frequencies and you're either listening to one or the other so i mean that i didn't that seems like a very dangerous situation surely Perhaps it's perhaps I'm being perhaps I'm being sort mm. of uh, naive, and uh, John is saying there's all procedures and stuff uh, into it. And speaking of heated, John Jester is saying brake cooling times depend on weight and speed. In my plane, we likely would be changing tires if we were Ooh. in that situation. 
and Ex- underwear. Expensive. Yeah, indeed, and, and underwear, as Nev says. Yeah, absolutely. Never forget the underwear change. Always very important. <laughs> Hello to Cat and Ridiculous Wits. Good to see you in the chat room. Mm, indeed. Uh, oh, uh, hang on. Uh, ASD, uh, ASDEX saved the day. Likely the alarms would have been going off in the tower cab. Okay, fair enough. And uh, and apparently it's been confirmed that it, they did indeed go off. So uh, go, the the alarms uh, that go off if any aircraft uh, are uh, uh, sort of yeah in conflict with it's each a other. Bit like, or, a bit like TCAS, but on the ground. Yeah, essentially, I suppose. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. So next story is coming to us from Flight Global. It's all about the A two twenty Delta. Uh, have ordered a dozen more A220s. I'm yet to bloom and fly on one of these. I really, I don't. I'm gonna have to work out how the hell I'm gonna fly on an A220 in the UK or Europe. But anyway, Delta Airlines has exercised options on 12 more Airbus A220s, 300s, for delivery in 2026 and 2027. The Sky Team carrier, which became the first. U.S. airline to operate the Pratt & Whitney GTF-powered A220s back in 2018 currently operates 14 of the A220-300s and 45 of the smaller A220-100s. Following Wednesday's order, uh, it does an option for the type of exercise in July. Delta has 60 A220-300s on order in addition to the 14 already in service and it also operates uh, 45 of the Dash 100s. Delta Vice President of Fleet, Kristen Bojko, uh, says the additional 12 A220 aircraft will help power the increasing streamlined fleet, which also providing or provides customers with the elevated in-flight experience they've come to expect from Delta. Delta operates its A220-300s in a three-class, 130-seat configuration, featuring 12 seats in first class, 30 in its Comfort Plus extra legroom economy offering, and 88 in the main cabin. With the latest order, Delta throws more support behind Airbus, uh, Airbus with which the airline has closely aligned in recent years. Uh, Delta also holds orders for 134 of the Toulouse Airframe's largest narrowbody, the A320, A321neo. Uh, in July 2022, Delta also disclosed having ordered 100 Boeing 737 MAX 10 aircraft as well. Now, now, Nev, you've been on board one of these, I think, haven't you, Nev? I don't know if you've been one in the air, but you've been on board one, haven't you? Yes, uh, Al and I went, uh, where were we at Farnborough, wasn't that? That's right, yes, that was uh, very, very nice. Very um, spacious inside the aircraft, especially the uh, overhead bins, loads of room in there. And had a quick tour of the cockpit as well, um, and that was that was nice too. So, um, yeah, this is going back to 20, oh gosh, was it 2017? We saw it. I can't remember, but um, yeah, it was it was a great uh, great aircraft. But I've never been on one yet. Looking forward to having the opportunity to going on one. Perhaps uh, one of the Swiss ones, perhaps uh, from Heathrow one these days. But yeah, uh, yeah, great aircraft. Really like it. Yeah, gonna have to look and see. I don't know what, what two we've got in the UK. You use the A A two twenty Nev. It's uh, Swiss uh, and. Gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head at the moment. But uh, uh, John Jester says uh, Air Baltic. Usually. Air Baltic, too. That's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, hmm. 
Yeah. Air Baltic have an all to all, an all A220 fleet apparently from what they're saying. Captain Cruz says flew Air France A220 the other day. Uh, seats, baggage, holds, lavatories, windows, same as any other aircraft is what you say. Uh, I was expecting some kind of some kind of passenger experience oh, comment from okay. you, Captain Cruz. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, that is. He's saying it's no different to any other. Mm, right. <laughs> That's essentially what he's saying. Uh, indeed. An airplane so, is an airplane. He sounds an like my kind of man. He really does. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Next story. Matt, this is a follow-up on a, on a story that we've been covering now yes, for a little indeed. while on the show. Uh, and and jo- John has suggested I pop my teeth in for reading this story, so we'll, uh, oh we'll see how we get on. Airbus implements A350 design change amid Qatar Airways feud. It's coming from Reuters.com. That's the source on this particular story. And Airbus has carried out design changes to A350 passenger jets amid a $2 million dispute with Qatar Airways Airways over surface damage, which spilled over into a debate on security on Thursday. The two companies have been fighting in court for months over the safety impact of flaking paint that exposed corrosion or gaps in a sub-layer of metallic lightning protection. Qatar Airways has blamed the damage on a possible design defect. Uh, Airbus argues the former design remains state-of-the-art and is safe. At the heart of the case is a sandwich of copper foil between the carbon fuselage and outer paint on the A350 jets designed to allow lightning strikes to wash safely away. Reuters first reported in November 2021 that Airbus was studying a new type known as perforated copper foil PCF for short initially because it was lighter than the current expanded copper foil ECF uh, but also because it would uh, ease cracking. Qatar told a London court on Thursday that Airbus had started implementing the change and called for more information. Airbus confirmed its partial use from late last year. PCF is being used on rear section parts of the aircraft delivered from the end of 2022, an Airbus spokesman said. Wrapping up the latest preliminary hearing, Judge David Waxman, uh, who uh, described the decision to start using the new design as significant to the case. The European regulators say the jets are safe, but Qatar Airways says this can't be guaranteed without more detailed analysis. Qatar Airways seeks access to raw modelling data that would allow its technical experts to simulate the impact of lightning. But there were tense exchanges in court on Thursday after Airbus said French security services had raised concerns about sharing data models on jets, some of which are used by European governments. Uh, Airbus cited cyber attacks on such data. Qatar Airways accused Airbus of resorting to a new tactic to block the release of data that could be valuable to its case after the plane maker was overruled in a previous bid to use a special blocking law defending French interests. In a rare note of compromise, lawyers for the two companies provisionally agreed arrangements to secure data. So to summarise, basically, because if like me, you're probably a bit lost by that, John has very kindly uh, shared a sort of like a long story short scenario. Qatar stopped flying the A350s because of the cracks in the paint. Those cracks aligned to the copper foil on the outside of the A350 
yet. Qatar says this is a design defect. Europe says it's safe. Airbus says that it's state of the art. Qatar brings Airbus to court. That's a, a rough summary. Uh, Airbus has now redesigned its layer, saying that it's lighter than the previous copper and could ease cracking. Qatar says that Airbus need to release all these technical details and raw data from the modelling. Airbus say that can cause that. Airbus are saying that that causes security issues at a European level, but London courts disagree. So what's next? Qatar and Airbus can't actually uh, aren't actually at a trial stage yet. So next would be a corporate trial deciding the outcome. This is currently months away. Anything else? Actually, yes, London has also ordered Airbus this Thursday to disclose any information of the compensation it gives to any customer due to this issue. Uh, uh, to every customer, to every customer of the A three fifty. So if you're wondering why um, your uh, ticket on your next A350 flight <laughs> might be more expensive, this might be one of the reasons. Uh, the, the legal costs involved in this are, or will be, and are, astronomical, I would imagine. So they need to fix it one way or the other. It's just horrible, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just put, them in a, just put them all on a boxing ring together. Ding, uh, ding. Uh, Alex Robinson is saying, Carlos, uh, Qatar wouldn't be having these issues if they had an L10, if they had L1011s instead. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Alex Robinson makes a massively Alex, fantastic Alex, point Alex, what there. have you done? Please don't feed the beast. Absolutely Alex, not. you are uh, an absolute legend. <laughs> you have now, yeah. Alex is now, now um, oh. raised to, to top-tier status. Oh, have I got yeah. to send him another... Have I got to send him a mug now? Is that what's <laughs> going on? Uh, uh, Micah says uh, Airbus says Qatar... Uh, Airbus says Qatar, it's just a very flaky airline. Oh, dear. Tumbleweed, anyone? Uh, <laughs> well, they should have used Primer. They should have used Primer. They should have used Primer, yes. Dirk S is saying lots of appeal... Oh on Qatar. Word. <laughs> what are these lot like in here, honestly? Micah says, Micah says again, Qatar tells Airbus to take off their tinfoil hats. Uh, right, very good. We're, we're all writing our own headlines here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the caption this is coming up later, so don't panic, everyone. We are having the caption this competition, or competition this week. It's back, so don't panic. But anyway, moving on to the next story, which again is Airbus related, I might add. Uh, Nev's Nev's got this one all about uh, um, A350. Yeah, this is interesting about the A350-1000. Uh, it's from the engadget.com and flightglobal.com. Very interesting uh, <coughs> testing going on there, I think. Um, it says that autonomous transportation assistance isn't limited to cars. Airbus has started testing a pilot assistance feature, Dragonfly, that could save an aircraft in an emergency. The system can automatically divert a flight in an emergency and it can not only pick a flight path to the best airport using factors like airspace rules and weather, but communicate with air traffic control and an airline's operation centre. If the pilots are incapacitated, the aircraft can still land safely. Accordingly, Dragonfly can automatically land on any runway using sensors and computer vision algorithms. Pilots can even help taxiing around airports um, through technology that translates air traffic controllers' uh, clearance into usable guidance clues in a companion app. 
It can assist with speed control and alert pilots to obstacles. Crew can, uh, crews can spend more time getting ready for the actual flight. While using an A350-1000 uh, jet, the uh, Airbus Research and Development Division will now conduct further flight testing. Project engineers fit the A350 with three external cameras just below the flight deck windscreen and are considering what sensors deployment on commercial airlines would need to achieve regulatory approval. By early December, the Airbus Up Next team had achieved full functionality from the system, which also includes advanced UHF and VHF communication systems. It already has conducted flights in cooperation with specially trained air, uh, French air traffic controllers, including a simulated medical emergency on a flight across southwest France in which the aircraft diverted to Toulouse on a flight to Lyon. When medical emergencies arise, the Dragonfly technology can automatically select the most suitable airport and flight path for a diversion, dealing with factors such as terrain and weather. The system can operate fully autonomously or serve as a decision-making tool for the flight crew whilst alerting both the airline's operations control centres and air traffic controllers using synthetic voice systems. The system being tested by Airbus up next shows pilots a clear path along taxiways with each clearance given by air traffic controllers, including permitted speeds. It also includes surveillance to detect obstacles and avoid the risk of crossing live runways, giving audio alerts to pilots. These processes have already been under, uh, undergone testing in real-time operating conditions at the Toulouse airport. According to Isabel Lacazzi, uh, head of Dragonfly demonstration program, the technology is being developed with dual pilot operations in mind. She played down suggestions from reports, reporters that uh, work might be part of a longer term progression to support the case for single pilot airline operations and said that early results already have shown the potential for huge value in helping pilots deal with the very complicated, uh, complex situations they face today. Yes, I noticed a lot of media outlets were starting to talk about single pilot operations or fully autonomous commercial air, uh, uh, aircraft operations. I don't think that's what they're talking about here. They're, they're talking about additional pilot assistance. But um, it seems that they've gone quite a long way down this route, doesn't it? So I'd be interested to see what the next testing phase is and what people like the CAA and EASA and the FAA have to say about this kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Aaron, Aaron P is saying in the chat room, actually, it's a bit like the Garmin Autoland system for light aircraft. Mm. Hmm. Yep. Indeed, it's just Otto 4.0, Dirk S is suggesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> indeed. Oh, dear. I, I don't know. Is, is it, uh, I hope uh, Dragonfly does speak other languages than French. Other uh, than is French, also the, yeah. yeah. That could be a bit confusing. Yeah. I, I, I suppose, uh, I guess, I, I, it's the, uh, as, as, a, as a tool to aid pilots, I can see why it would be appealing, but I can't help but feel this is a, this is a step towards, you know, single pilot operations, you know, on the grounds that if, say, there were, it was single pilot operations and they were incapacitated for some reason, a system that could be remotely, op you know, fired up, if you like, um, without anybody else being there. I don't know. It's, I, I'm I, going I to make a prediction. I, I don't you? think it's going to happen in our lifetime. Okay. Nope. Single pilot operations of that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, who knows? 
who knows but uh, no I, th I think that this I mean there have been so many situations that you can think of in commercial aviation over the years where you know you've got to have two pilots in a, the cockpit a brilliant point here by uh, Bill actually saying it'd be interesting to use the A350 system that we're talking about there on the JFK scenario talked about yeah. earlier of course wouldn't that be a fast fascinating ex you know exercise Good point yeah. yeah and Dirk S is saying I wonder how it will how it will react to ATC answering its calls <laughs> true very it true might just give them a number to ring yeah <laughs> Yes, it might well do. Uh, true that. Uh, true. We'll, we'll be. We'll be. That'll be nearly like flying an Airbus soon. You know, we just press a button to <laughs> off. Well, it is an press Airbus. Press a button to land. It is an Airbus. Well, no, like that, like the, <laughs> the, the special Airbus that we talk about in the show. You know, with the two buttons. Oh, okay. Well, fair the enough. Pilot, yeah. Pilots literally just press a button to go and press a button to land. Well, there so, we go. There we go. Controversial, then. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on uh, to the next story, and it's the last story in the commercial news this week. And uh, this one is coming to us from Armando, and it's from the warbirdsnews.com website. And it's all about the Carolinas Aviation Museum being renamed after a certain someone we all know. All right, this next story hits a little bit close to home. No, actually, it is actually close to home. It's right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, the former Carolina's Aviation Museum has officially announced this week that when it reopens, it will be named the Sullenberger Aviation Museum, honoring Captain Sully Sullenberger, who, along with his crew, famously landed Cactus 1549 U.S. Airways uh, Airbus into New York City's Hudson River. So Sully, uh, and uh, who is a safe flight safety advocate was on hand for the announcement at the Renaissance West Academy, STEM Academy in West Charlotte, where the museum leaders and all other museum officials also provided updates on the capital campaign and construction progress for the museum's new facility at the Charlotte Douglas International Airport. The museum houses the famous airplane, the actual airplane, Cactus 1549, which was en route to Charlotte on January 15, 2009, after taking off from LaGuardia Airport. And it has had a corresponding exhibit to that since 2011. Dozens of passengers aboard the flight uh, were from Charlotte, and many are still here calling this region home today. Uh, now, Rick Elias, who is a uh, Flight 1549 survivor and CEO of Red Ventures, uh, they, they have a diverse portfolio of influential brands, businesses, digital platforms. He personally donated $1 million alongside $500,000 from Red Ventures' Lonely Planet to the museum's liftoff campaign uh, as a way to honor Captain Sullenberger. Now, the museum is projected to open by the end of 2023. 105,000-square-foot uh, Sullenberger Aviation Museum multi-building campus will offer immersive learning experiences like flight simulators, interactive exhibits, and STEM education programs, and uh, lots of storytelling opportunities from aviation here in the Carolinas. Now, the liftoff campaign chaired by uh, Mark Oaken is the largest capital campaign in the museum's history and has actually raised 94% of the approximately $31 million anticipated cost for the renovation of the museum. A $5 million commitment from the Charlotte, Charlotte Douglas International Airport's Cannon Fund uh, went to securing the site for the museum 
And then a $1.5 million gift from Honeywell, another $1 million contribution from Bank of America, which is based here in Charlotte, uh, to name and sponsor the Miracle on the Hudson exhibit. Uh, Bank of America did that because they actually had about two dozen employees on that aircraft on that day. Um, flight 1549 and its passengers have collectively started the Flight 1549 campaign, which is a separate funding initiative dedicated to preserving the aircraft and funding the corresponding materials and collections for years to come. Now, before the museum closed for its renovation, I went there. I've been there a couple times since it is uh, right here in Charlotte. Also, I've been there on layovers before I lived here in the Charlotte area. And it's an amazing exhibit. It's an amazing experience to walk around the actual aircraft that went into the Hudson. And you can see that the damage to the aircraft, yet how amazingly it stayed together um, with not a lot of damage. So it's weird that there's there's damage, but there's not a lot of damage at the same time. Maintained its structural integrity. Uh, one of the engines is there, I believe, and 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 again, it's just a you know it's just sitting in a hangar. Uh, so I'm very excited to to see how they present this aircraft to the public because it was really such a, an amazing feat of airmanship from Sullenberger and, and his crew and his first officer. Um, so again, kudos to Captain Sullenberger. It'll be the Sully Museum here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, hoping to get a sneak peek. Maybe we'll reach out to them and, and check it out. Absolutely. I think uh, I think that should be Armando's first job is get himself over to that when it's opened and see if they'll uh, see if they'll allow a bit of filming and and stuff like that. I mean it is it is a story that w it just captures even even me who's not that interested in aviation couldn't wait to go and see the film and uh, and all that mm. kind of thing. It's such a such a, a, a an incredible story, isn't it? So I'm surprised uh, this isn't the the only museum is it that's been dedicated to to this I, there is one already isn't there i seem to recall or have i no I, I seem I'm, to... I'm just upset they didn't obviously receive the application from me i, I the application I, I, from you i op opted for them to call it the um ptuk museum but um we have a museum well, I, well, I was hoping we. Were I mean, that's. One. I mean, that's one way of describing your collection of various air parts that you're building your own <laughs> yeah. plane from. But I, I'm not quite sure I, that's. I the... could actually, yeah, open my own museum. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, fair, I, yeah. indeed, indeed. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that would have made it more. more Doesn't yeah. it, uh, it amaze me as well about how long ago this was? This is 2009. I know, scary, isn't it? So Gosh, scary. That just yeah. seems such a long time ago, isn't it? It really and, does. And yet, in, in so many respects, it seems. As it were yesterday, then. Yeah, indeed. Mm. Indeed. Mm. A very memorable event. Uh, with a happy ending for a change as well. That's the best bit about it, isn't it? Always. You know, especially given some of the. Ending. Well, especially given the stories that we've been reading, you know, uh, earlier on in, in, in today's show. You know, it, it shows how very easily it could have been a different story. I'm ignoring you on purpose, Carlos. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Dirkes, what's Dirk saying? Uh, Dirk S is saying, you have the right age to be displayed. <laughs> you have the Dirk right S. age to be displayed. Dirk S, right. Where's, where's my right? You have right the right place. age to be displayed in the museum, is what Dirk S is suggesting. How do you put, well, where do you put them in time out? I'm afraid that function has been disabled for you, Carlos. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> indeed. Oh, thanks, Dirk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. much love to you all. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. On that bombshell. Moving on 
to the next part of the show, which is yeah. equally as amusing as Dirk's comments in the chat room. And uh, this is our caption this. Yes, we missed it last week, but it's back this week. It's our caption this competition that we run on our Facebook page every wet well, nearly every Wednesday when I don't forget. And uh, this one was quite an entertaining picture, I will say. It came with some quite entertaining answers as well. <laughs> Most of them um, kind of sort of well pointing towards a certain member of our team here oh okay oh dear and uh so <laughs> why, don't, Matt, why, do, why, do, why don't i like the sound what of we'll the do way you what just... we'll do is we'll <laughs> let that team member describe the picture that matt will pop up on the screen here for the caption this picture <laughs> yes well it's a fella uh sitting well like sitting in a uh passenger seat in an aircraft but he's uh been very much bound and gagged so he will not be giving the crew any difficulty that's for sure on this flight um, and uh, <laughs> well, we're not, we've not been short of um, uh, suggestions for the captions this, uh, this time. Indeed. So the first one, I'll kick off things in. The first one comes to us from Jonathan, who says, Nev, after being told he has to sit in economy, his business was overbooked. <laughs> uh, Nick says, uh, what do I get if I have a platinum card? <laughs> <laughs> uh, John says Armando overheard, uh, overheard Nev telling producer John that he wanted to, to take over the military section. Armando fights back using his pilot-issued passenger suppressions bodge tape. <laughs> sure He's unable to leave his seat at London City Airport in time to make the show. Quite, so indeed. That was a very sophisticated <laughs> answer, but probably quite accurate. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, Becky says... I like this one. Bound at last. Oh, yeah. See what she did there. Nicholas says, Extreme measures had to be taken when it turned out that Matt's connecting flight was a 757. <laughs> <laughs> Neil says, uh, uh, Alan Carr enjoying Ryanair's new business. <laughs> oh, how rude. <laughs> how rude. <laughs> uh, uh, Jan says, Jeez. Sir Nev in a prisoner seat to be to be good point good point well yes. made uh, Nicholas says Nev went thermonuclear when Carlos explained their next airshow trip would be on Ryanair <laughs> and there was no seat 1A I mean there is a seat 1A there it's, is a seat 1A yes. <laughs> it's just not the not to the standard to which Nav, Nev would expect absolutely <laughs> uh, Chris says waiting on my dead head home and the no tams go down I was fit to be tied I see what they did there Yes, very good. <laughs> Stephen uh, says, "When you, when you take hold my beer too far." <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, hold my beer. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Richard says, "Anna in recruitment misunderstood the requirement to bond new pilots." <laughs> uh, Richard says uh, the amount of red tape in aviation was reduced in an instant. Yeah, it's just green tape instead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my favourites here from Steve who says, <clears throat> and I say, and our co-host for this week's episode is Neville's Bound. Dear me. And finally, Steve says, stop kicking my seat. <laughs> 
Indeed. And <laughs> have we got, have we oh, got is, there, is there something in the chat room? I can room? say, is there something in the chat room? I don't oh, know. Oh, my word, uh, there Ca- is. Captain Ridiculous Wits is saying, I must say, this is the weirdest request we've ever had from a passenger, but okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my good friend Alex Robinson in the chat room says... Carlos mentions the L1011 one too many times. Brilliant idea. You absolutely <laughs> have him bound and gag every time he mentioned it. That's clearly the... <laughs> They're really picking on you, Nev. <laughs> Neville bound, it says <laughs> from Bill. From Bill. Uh, Captain Ridiculous Wits is saying, if this is not seat 1A, I don't care. Sit down and shut up and love it or I'll make you. <laughs> Ooh, it's a bit aggressive, and isn't it? And <laughs> the Airstig says, drummer says... Hey guys, let's play some of my songs. <laughs> Captain Crew says next level turbulence protection device. I quite that like that. That is a next yeah, level yeah. protection <laughs> device. It is definitely, yeah, yeah. So don't forget if you wanna mm. if you wanna be part of the caption this uh, just for fun part of the show every week uh, on a wednesday i'll post another rather amusing aviation related picture on our facebook page uh, so get yourselves over there if you've not already found us uh, give us a look and give us a like while you're there as well and follow the page and uh, yeah like i said the picture will go up and leave us your wittiest comments and i'll i'm just gonna i'm gonna search this weekend for another witty picture for next week's show mm, brace yourselves <laughs> so that, that, yeah. that, all right, yeah. Darren, John's saying, can I have a higher quality picture? Yeah, the, the resolution. Yeah, the resolution was a bit. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Apologies to everyone watching on YouTube. If you're listening yeah, like, on the audio, it makes no sense whatsoever. Files, <laughs> Quite, yeah. And don't forget as well, if you are listening to this as an audio podcast, we are on YouTube, and if you want to see the picture, it is on our YouTube page as well during the, uh, the, the show. But check out our socials as well. You'll find yes. it on Instagram, Facebook, and, of course, Twitter. So it's the next part of the show, and it's it's good because it's Armando's part of the show, and it is of course the military segment which Armando has very kindly sent in videos for us this week. So Matt, if you're ready, punch that grey button. Blast up, buggies one three five fifty angel sixteen three four zero. All right, now this first military story uh, was published uh, by the Air Force, defensenews.com, as well as some aviation enthusiast websites. Uh, HH-60W Jolly Green 2, uh, they're not Jolly Greens anymore because it's just Blackhawks, combat rescue helicopters were involved in their first real-world casualty evacuation operation in the African area of responsibility. This was a combined force of deployed U.S. assets which coordinated uh, assets to save two lives of a partner force uh, outside the wire, which is what we call you know anything basically outside the protected military base. This was in late December in the Horn of Africa. Now the force consisted of an HC-130J recovery aircraft, Guardian Angels from the 347th Rescue Group, as well as HH-60W Jolly Green II combat rescue helicopters in their first operational deployment to the African AOR. Now, in a statement from Tech Sergeant Jason Burns from the 4435th Expeditionary Wing, he said that the uh, first uh, HH-60W combat Kazavak in operation, in African AOR operations, 
The HH-60 and its sister squadrons are assigned to a personnel recovery task force under the direction of the 449th Air Expeditionary Group and the Joint Personnel Recovery Center. Now, the special capabilities and training of these HH-60W uh, crews make it a unique capability within the African AOR as well as uh, the Middle East AOR or anywhere, anywhere else that they may be deployed that enables commanders to reduce the overall risk to the mission for both U.S. and partner forces. Now, this uh, personal recovery task force, the PTRF, is specifically manned, trained, and equipped to respond to emergency battlefield situations to return American, allied, and partner forces to friendly control. And while personnel may be behind enemy lines or at least contested lines beyond any kind of support, this particular team is equipped to travel great distances and fight their way in and out if necessary to make the mission happen. So alert crews were activated during the pre-dawn hours and responded quicker than the required theater response times, which is usually just about 30 minutes. So they were probably on call and ready to go. Now, the initial pickup of the injured individuals was quick, and the team was in and out of the area without any incident. Then they immediately made for the nearest medical facility uh, for trauma surgery, while pararescue men, which are onboard medics, performed their own stabilizing emergency medical care in the aircraft's cabin. The HC-130s were then called to swiftly move the most seriously wounded individuals to another location for further treatment. Both lives were saved. Now, the successful recovery of isolated and injured persons is a capability that transcends sort of the tactical, operational, and strategic response library. Everything stops when, when one of our individuals or our partner individuals uh, needs help. Now, this preserves critical resources and is a key element in providing morale and welfare to the individuals that are out there, knowing that somebody's got their back and they can be rescued no matter what, in fairly quick timelines. As already reported here on this show, uh, last year, General Mark Kelly, commander of Air Combat Command, declared that the HA-60W helicopters were had reached initial operating capability back in October of last year. So this is incredibly important. This, you know, we, we practice, we practice, we practice, we build these new capabilities, new helicopters, new resources, and to be able to actually put this into practice and, and rescue some individuals is, is just a, an incredible feat. Well done to everybody that took part in this operation. I guarantee you it wasn't just pilots and pararescue men. Usually when something like this happens, it goes all the way up to the top, sometimes to the Pentagon, sometimes even to the White House and our partner nation's uh, senior civilian leadership to make something like this happen. So well done to the U.S. Air Force and its new helicopter capabilities. There we go. Thank you, Armando. Uh, it's uh, yeah, new helicopter. Um, yeah, absolutely. Jolly green. Jolly. <laughs> I, I honestly, I just keep thinking of that blooming advert now. The right, the okay. green giant Good. advert. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> All those wise words that were falling out of Armando's mouth, and that's the, that's the only thing that pops into your head is the jolly green giant. <laughs> indeed but very much uh, very much well done on all uh, on all those involved in many lives saved that's uh, that is quite the achievement yes very much so also a very important part of Mm. uh, uh, the military part side of things yeah absolutely yeah agreed Uh, next video coming up from armando from the warbirdsnews.com website is all about uh, a a very famous aircraft indeed in uh, the military service 
Hey guys, this next military story is a little bit of an update from an aircraft that we talked about a couple of years ago over the, on the show. Now, it's been a little bit of time since we talked about former U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower's Lockheed VC-1 Constellation, named Columbine 2. This ex-U.S. Air Force executive transport has been undergoing a restoration at Dynamic Aviation following its arrival at the company's headquarters in Bridgewater, Virginia on March 23rd, 2016, when I believe we talked about it over the on the show. Now, after the sad and untimely loss of the company's founder, Carl Stolfus, in November 2020, the project underwent a period of a bit of a reassessment, but we are happy to report that work has since resumed and lots of progress has actually occurred in the interim. Now, the following edited report comes from Dynamic Aviation's restoration team. They said that the first Air Force One is in progress, in process of having all four of its original R3350 engines overhauled and updated. Now, as part of a reliability and safety package, plans include having a fifth engine on hand as a spare. Now, anyone operating R3350s in the present day has to use 100 octane aviation fuel, which allows the engines to produce around 2,500 horsepower each. Of course, these, engine, these engines were once capable of producing significantly more power with higher octane fuels produced in the era of their manufacture and during the war. But such mixtures have not been available for decades due to their exceedingly high toxicity. So even so, the combined effort of the four engines uh, on the first Air Force One will generate nearly 10,000 horsepower, which is more than adequate to propel her anywhere in the country. Now, the Lockheed Constellation is one of the most visibly striking aircraft designs of its day, one of my favorite of all time, and at the top of my What Would You Fly checklist. Uh, and it became a, a bit of a legend during its service life, offering fast, safe, reliable travel during the post-World War II period. Now, the civilian version evolved from the Army Air Force's C-69 transport, which first entered service in small numbers during mid-1943. Now, 1951... While he was serving as NATO's first Supreme Allied Commander in Europe, then General Dwight D. Eisenhower regularly flew aboard a U.S. Air Force VC-121 Constellation, which soon gained the nickname Columbine. That's Colorado's official state flower. Now, in, in, in honor of Eisenhower's wife, Mamie, who spent much of her childhood in Colorado Springs, when Eisenhower became president in January 1953, he again had a constellation serving as his personal transport, this time VC-121A, serial number 48-0610. Now, this is the aircraft which became known as Columbine II, the first presidential aircraft to use the call sign Air Force One. Now, Dynamic Aviation intends to restore the first Air Force One's interior uh, to appear as it did during the Eisenhower era. All of the aircraft's major systems, components, and fixtures will be addressed regarding their safe operation, but the cabin will be the most significant aspect for the public to experience when they visit the aircraft. Now, Dwight and Mamie Eisenhower's granddaughter, Mary Jean Eisenhower, has provided an exceptional collection of family photographs which will allow Dynamic to add detail to Columbine 2's historical record and offer a near-perfect representation of the former president's aircraft. Now, this restoration is a little bit uh, close to home to me, again, I keep saying that on this show, I don't know how I end up in these situations, but in 2017, 2018, something like that, I ended up working with Dynamic Aviation in Bridgewater. Uh, they were their outstanding team of individuals providing both aviation and maintenance services, outfitting 
uh, new next generation aircraft. And I was lucky enough to go to their facility in Bridgewater and their chief mechanic for the restoration project of Columbine 2 uh, actually gave me and the guy that I was with a tour. So after the airplane had just arrived, I think it was just about a year, you know, we were able to walk through, you know, up the stairs and through the cabin as they were still tearing stuff out pre-restoration, kind of figuring out where it is that they wanted to go with it. Um, this is such a cool airplane. Constellation is one of my favorite airplanes in the world. And uh, Matt's going to throw up some pictures, I'm sure. But I can't wait to see this aircraft both flying and at air shows around the world. Because, to be honest, there's just not that many Connies flying around. So, well done again to the team at Dynamic Aviation. And I can't wait to see this airplane fly. I have to say, I think that's such a cool thing, isn't it? It's uh, it's a piece of history, isn't it? That, that, which I know, I know is the whole point of, of a lot of these restorations. But, you know, everybody knows Air Force One, don't they? You don't have to be a plane geek to know about mm. Air Force One and it existing. Um, so I, I think this is a great idea. And as Armando says, I mean, uh, hopefully it'll come over here and do the air show circuit here once it's all done and dusted as well. I'm sure it That'd will. That'd be nice to have mm. Air Force One flying at Riyadh. Yeah, Dr. absolutely. Appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. I, I, well, I can see it happening. I can see it happening. Um, we've got. Oh, it makes a question actually with the with the two uh, the two current Air Force ones that are in the in the US. Mm. Obviously, were the ones which have been phased out eventually. Whether they'll bin them off or save one and pop one in a museum somewhere in the US. I'd like to think they'll do the same that they're doing here. I think perhaps you know I'd yeah. like them to do it all up and uh, keep it. In, uh, yeah, sort of you know take yeah. out the bits that they can't keep. I, I, I suppose. Uh, I suppose they can't leave it exactly as is because oh, I no. guess it could very much be a, a potential security risk, couldn't it? But, uh, yeah, it would be quite cool to sort of like neat. It's, uh, we're going to discuss this with Bill, uh, apparently. So a question for discussion. Should such a unique and historic aircraft be flown or should it be displayed in a museum? Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, now that's a tricky one. Me personally, uh, yes, uh, Jonathan Warner is saying personally I'd say fly. I'm actually with Jonathan on this one. I'd, I I think aircraft are, for, I, I, for me, it would be uh, the best of both worlds. So it would go to somewhere like, let, let's use, du and, okay, it couldn't go to Duxford because obviously the runway wouldn't be big enough. But uh, Yeah, it would. Oh, would it? Yeah, yeah. Really? Duxford would be all right. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Right, yeah, for the VC-21. Yeah, okay, right, yeah, yeah, uh, for this particular one. But, but I, I, again, I think it would be fascinating for you to sort of see the thing flying, hear the, hear the noise and all that kind of thing, for it to then land, and then you could have, even if you had to book it in advance, you could then have, like, a tour of it, you know. You know so for the, for the best of both worlds, if you like, for me, um, would be where it's a flying museum, literally, and it arrives at, at a, a venue of some description um, for, for you to invest for it. It's uh, the best of both worlds, yes. Okay, John, <laughs> John is uh, John is taking the mickey out of me. We're going to ignore him uh, and anyway, move, on. move on. Yeah. <laughs> no, Nev, Matt was just mentioning uh, our very own Duxford there, but mm. uh, you've got a story here, haven't you, Nev, uh, all about uh, Duxford over in Cambridgeshire. Yeah, it's one of our favourite places to go, isn't it? Uh, this is on uh, warbirdsnews.com and it says the Imperial War Museum at Duxford has announced the dates of its flying season and, as always, it promises to be an exciting one. Uh, the IWM flying season is always packed with events to fill the year with great days out, from their two-day action-packed weekend air shows to one-day flying events, including the museum's popular evening flying display and end-of-year season finale. 
uh, as well as uh, celebrating a half century of uh, air shows at the former RAF base, uh, there will be a new type of show presented in 2023. Uh, the Flying Days were introduced to the Imperial War Museum's Duxford events calendar in 2021, and each event is themed around available vintage aircraft, both those based at Duxford and beyond, to help retell a specific story from aviation history. The museum promises each event will bring you the best aerial choreography, storytelling and conservation success stories from IWM Duxford through thrilling flying displays and themed ground activities. Of course, these are subject to weather, serviceability and pilot availability, as is usual. Well, just to give you a quick rundown of what they're doing this year. Uh, on the flying days, the VE day is on Sunday the 7th of May. Uh, commemorating D-Day is on Sunday the 4th of June. Uh, the Duxford Summer Air Show is on Saturday and Sunday the 25th and 20, uh, sorry, 24th and 25th of June. Uh, Flying Days, the Americans, is Friday the 28th of July. Uh, another Flying Days series, 19 Squadron, is on Saturday the 12th of August. Uh, the Duxford Flying Evening is on Saturday the 26th of August. And the Battle of Britain Air Show is on Saturday the 16th and Sunday the 17th of September. And finally, the Duxford Flying Finale is on Saturday the 14th of October. We're going to try and get to at least one of those this mm. year, I think, and do our usual uh, coverage, if we possibly can, depending on what the weather's doing and what have you. But uh, from the ground to the skies above, uh, IWM Duxford really does entertain generations with the best flying displays, special vintage entertainment, aviation history, and fun for all ages. So you Indeed. can join the Imperial War Museums in 2023 as they celebrate 50 years of incredible air shows at Duxford. And for more information, you can visit the Duxford website, which is www.iwm.org. UK. Now, here's something I didn't think I was going to be able to ask uh, during uh, this particular story is, uh, Armando, did you ever get the opportunity to to go to Duxford and see one of their flying days? Every single one of them. I, I think you guys are so lucky to have Duxford. Uh, I, I love the, the Air Force Museum in Dayton, the Navy Museum in Pensacola. They're all good. There's something special about Duxford and being on that airfield with the people that have walked those same taxiways and the control tower being there and the same hangars that have been there for, you know, over 75 years. I think Duxford is such a gem over there in the UK. I love mm. it every single time. Yep. Oh, that, no, that's good. It's good. Uh, uh, I, I suppose the problem is, guys, actually, which which one are we going to choose? That's the ultimate question, I guess. I think, yeah. I think. Um, Is there anything that think, gra grabs you? Well, the the one in the summertime, the, the the ducks of summertime air show is always a good one. Mm. Um, it's possibly Sunday, the twenty fifth of June. I feel a meetup coming on. Yeah. So yeah, the the, the Duxford su air, the summer air show is a good one, and obviously also the the Battle of Britain air show is also a good one on, mm. on uh, in yeah. September. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, um, we'll we'll have a chat. We've got a production meeting coming we up next month, haven't we? So we'll, up, we'll have yes. a little chat and uh, and perhaps we'll let you know which one we're we're going to be attending, so we can all have a little bit of a gathering. Because uh, for me, I feel like this is like the first one, um, like this is like the first year proper 
where we can all that we can all just sort of get together. together and go to you know we've got a full yes. calendar of air shows this uh, this year which uh, i think it's just going to be great isn't it I'll be yeah. sure to send over just a, a life-size cardboard cutout of, course, of me with, absolutely. <laughs> with just a, uh, an iPad that of I can zoom in. Right. You know? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Leave. Zoom in as in, yeah. you know, use we'll, we'll see if we can send you a live feed. Yeah, absolutely. We could probably make that happen. Leave it with me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if we're going to do that, might as well make it chiseled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we could do it. Yeah, absolutely. About yeah. six, about six inches taller and maybe a little bit slimmer. Oh, here we go. You know. Right. Okay. <laughs> In fact, just, just do Ryan Reynolds body and then just put my, and face put your on face it. on it. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. That works. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got an image now. Don't mind me. <laughs> very warm in the studio moving on please nice nice, nice to have you uh, join us armando i know you've um, you've been busy we've got a few minutes before we have to close up the show so but uh, just for the benefit of everyone tuning in uh, this evening what have you been up to uh, today was a fun day today there was an owner he just bought a pilatus it's a pilatus pc1245 series and the word has gotten around that that I'm available to instruct and mentor new owners. So this gentleman just bought this airplane and they uh, hired me on basically for about 25 hours of duel into the airplane. And when we went flying, I mean, we had did uh, short field approaches, you know, flat, different flap settings, different power settings. Uh, it was bumpy and windy today, which is great because that's a great, great practice for a new owner. Um, not every flight's gonna be a, a nice, calm, clear day. Uh, short field landings, you know, 3,000 foot strip. I took him up to a, a little airstrip. Then we stopped for lunch, had a cheeseburger and fries somewhere, and then flew back to Charlotte at the end of the day. So pretty fun. Good uh, overall. I think we did maybe 12 takeoffs and landings. And oh, wow. A couple instrument approaches. It's fun. You'll, you'll need some new pages in the uh, book then. <laughs> I don't log it, believe it or not. Well, I get, I get <laughs> dual given, but um, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh i see uh no. oh dear and 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 uh how, how did it fly was it good 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 purchase man i i just love that airplane no matter what airplane i fly i always come back to the pilatus it's just such a fun airplane now it's like jumping into a a 172 or something like that it's just you know you're comfortable in it and it's it's so capable it's just great airplane oh so, um, well, we're going to start to wrap up the show for this week. And I'll tell you what, Armando, as you're here, we'll drop you right in it. And uh, Armando, social media links. Where can everyone find us in the world of social media in case they don't? Great, Carlos, because I don't have the show notes up. So, um, social media, you can just Google Plane Talking UK. You can go to Instagram, Facebook, just put our little name in there if you look uh, at the screen i'm popping them up there <laughs> yeah social media is talking uk somebody else is gonna have to tell me the whatsapp number there you go hang on there you go there it is there it is look there you go off you go plus four four matt's air, uh, favorite airplane the seven five seven two two four nine one and as you guys say double six indeed yeah uh, yeah we're always happy to hear from everybody and you can help shape the show the website, website. <laughs> planetalkinguk.com. Does anybody go to any of these things? Yes, of course they do. <laughs> we just Google Plane Talking UK, yeah, right? Yeah, no, fair. And uh, well, <laughs> that's it. Thanks. Please please, forget, please, feel free to undo all of my hard work, Armando. That's no problem at all. Wish... What's the email address, Armando? There we go. <laughs> if you want to 
complain about one of the hosts, you can email us individually at our first names at plaintalkinguk.com. Or if you want everybody else to see it, then it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Right. Okay. He's, he's, right. Thank, he's right. Thanks for that. Yeah. And then Unless he's Nev. Nev is just 1A at Plain Talking. Yeah, 1A, yeah. yeah. Seat 1A at, yeah. And if you fancy uh, owning yourself uh, or owning your uh, one yourself, uh, one of those grey mugs that Armando has uh, somewhere in his home, somewhere, or one of the PTUK mugs, you can uh, get yourselves one of those off our website as well on the shop page, along with a T-shirt. If you fancy wearing a glorious T-shirt uh, with the PTUK logo on the front, embroidered on the front and also on the back with printed with the name on, you can find those on the website as well, along with links to Patreon if you want to become a patron of the show and help support god let's repeat right. repeating on me sorry <laughs> and help support the show you can via the patreon or Classy. paypal link as well i know it's this it's an ipa it's a funny funny uh ipa oh, dear. this evening <laughs> you better finish quick <laughs> finish quick yes and uh, just a quick before we finish we've got five minutes a uh, quick round robin of what everyone hey is up to next week on the show we'll start with armando well, first of all, I want to introduce somebody that's oh. very special to me. This is a live audience. This is <laughs> Shelby York. She's a first officer at a regional airline here. It's a, one of the American Airlines, wholly owns uh, here in Charlotte. She is not just a good friend, but she's a great Reno acquaintance. Oh, wow. With, uh, well, hey, Shelby. Hi. You're live across the world on YouTube. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I threw her right into the fire. I didn't. Oh, and there's the other one. There's Megan. <laughs> hey, there we go. Hey, Megan. There we go. There's the real star of the so, show. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, world. Yeah. There you go. And that's my time of that's what that's what right. we're doing. Good. Lo- <laughs> Lovely. Okay. Uh, any nice plans uh, with with your guests this evening? This evening, probably. Well, we've we've started we with. Coffee. We'll probably switch to something a little stronger. Excellent. Good. I've got Starbucks, <laughs> Starbucks, and then I've got bourbon on standby. Lovely. Uh, Excellent. Coffee, what, yeah. In uh, Las Vegas tomorrow night. I'll be in New Orleans the other the next night, and then back in Las Vegas, and then back here on Wednesday. So wow. Toby, you going anywhere fun this week? Uh, I have hot reserve tomorrow. Hot reserve. Yeah. What is is, 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 is is that just a description or or like? <laughs> yeah, that's a character. I'm on reserve and I'm hot. There we go. Yes, that's uh... <laughs> indeed. Anyway, okay, that's 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 me in trouble. Oh, uh, who's next? Anyway, moving on, moving on, moving on, moving on. Sorry, uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go and have a lie down. It's Nev, fine. Nev, Nev, dig us out of this uh, this uh, this hole we're in now. Well, on Monday, I'm doing an interview with the chair of the Transport Select Committee here in the UK. Uh, We're going to record that on Monday. And uh, he's going to be uh, talking to us about, well, you'll just have to wait and see, won't you, and listen to it. So we'll be um, broadcasting that interview on Friday of next week, on next week's show. So that'll be really interesting. Uh, One other thing to mention very quickly, uh, our very good friend Michelle from Turning Left for Less is now in the podcast world. Uh, She's got uh, episode two of her podcast out uh, called This Week in Travel. Uh, It's also available on YouTube as well. So go over and have a look look at that as well. We hopefully be having her on the show Mm. 
one of these days again to soon, talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really looking forward mm. to doing that. But, Look forward uh, to that. Otherwise, yeah. uh, no flying for me next week. Uh, but I should be preparing for the big Barcelona trade show, which we'll be having the following week. So hurry, full on then. Mm. Exciting times. Yeah. Exciting. Well, right. Well, that's pretty that much is, it. Yeah. No, no, that is where we're going to wrap up episode four hundred and forty-one of the show big thanks to everyone for joining us in the chat room this evening uh, thank you to all the family as usual for joining us on this friday night and also a big thanks to everyone who downloads the show each week as an audio podcast thanks for listening to us in your cars in your tractors in your trucks or wherever wherever you listen to us each week on the audio show uh, we'll be back next friday on the show don't forget to tune in at seven o'clock for that important interview uh, that Neville will be doing this week. That'll be absolutely Can't fantastic. Can't wait for that. Mm. And uh, we'll see you all again next Friday night. Have a great weekend, whatever you're up to. Stay safe. And uh, from me, Carlos, here in the home studio, from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, from Nev in his glorious countryside, Buckinghamshire Mansion Studio, and from Armando across the pond. Take care. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>